we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 this morning. And so we're looking at our value of teaching. And so 2 Timothy was written to Timothy from Paul, and it was written also to the congregation of Ephesus. And so as Timothy is being written to and the congregation, it is in essence Paul's words, his last words really, to his disciple and to this congregation. Because what's going to happen at this point is the apostolic time period is now gone. So there are no more apostles. Paul will be going away soon. And so they're going to start to the second generation. And so they've had a special anointing of the Holy Spirit where they have, excuse me, this is, wow. Sorry you're here this morning. But they are starting um, where the apostolic period where they have been anointed with the Holy Spirit is going to start to end. And so these are the words that Paul is writing to Timothy for him to understand and for him to continue to walk through with his congregation. So we're starting to verse 10 through 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that have happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped, for every good work. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, that you would give us eyes to see and minds to understand this scripture this morning. Father, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the word of your, your Son, Jesus Christ, that we're able to know who you are and how we are to live. And so, Father, allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth to us this morning that we might ingest your word, that we would drink full of it, that we might then come and celebrate the Lord's Supper before you, again, giving you all glory and honor that you are rightfully due. And as already been prayed by our elders, Lord, that we would look more like Jesus when we leave than when we came. For this is our desire, and this is our prayer. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. So we're going to try to unpack this portion of the passage. And so we start by looking at the first verses of 10 through about 15. And so this is an opportunity where Paul is talking about being wise for salvation. And he starts off by talking about godly training. Now, many of you have probably heard this, and it's a plaque that I keep in my office. um, And it's by St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. 
Now, again, that's saying that we should be living our lives in such a way that people, just by looking at the way we live, by the way that we um, act in our marriages, by the way that we deal with one another, by the way that, that we deal with non-Christians, they should know that there is something different about us. And as they see our deeds, as they see the way that we act, there's an understanding that there is also a time, though, where it is necessary to use words. And we are called not to just have any words, but the word, God's word, the thing that we hold so dearly in our hands. And it is a thing that is supposed to be, again, making deep roots into our minds and our hearts so that we're always prepared. And so as we begin to unpack this, Paul starts saying, hey, Timothy, um, you have seen my life. You've seen both my deeds and my words and how I've lived them out before you. So you have seen me go before you and live in such a way that you've seen my conduct. You've seen my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering. Everything that has happened to me, you have seen. And as you have seen it, it's a giving of a wisdom of how we are to live, but it also gives us a warning. He tells us very clearly, if you are a Christian, you will be persecuted. It's not if, it's when. And those persecutions come sometimes from people you wouldn't even expect. Sometimes situations that you're not ready for. And all of us recognize that, and it's one of the reasons why I don't think God tells us clearly what we're going to walk through beforehand. If you ever thought about what they're going to do in surgeries, and if they told you everything they were going to do, would you go through the surgery? No. Would you take the medications? We look on the TV and we see the commercials and it says, hey, take this. It's going to make you feel better, but it's going to kill you. It's going to make you blind. It's going to make you itchy. It's going to make you, and they go through a whole list of things. And they say, well, still take it. It's that same kind of understanding. He's given us a warning. He's saying, I want you to recognize that if you are a Christian, you are going to be persecuted. Life's not all a bed of roses. I know that's not fun. But he's given us his wisdom of how to live our lives, but he's also given us the warning. But he also gives through his deeds how to live out our conduct and our faith. How do we react? How do we walk through this time and these periods? And so Paul is looking at Timothy and he says, hey, follow my actions, follow my conduct, follow my words. And that's the hope for every person in here, isn't it? I wish that every person was living such a life in mercy and grace and and taking up the gospel message every day, taking your cross, that people would look at you and you could say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I love Jesus Christ more and more every day, and I want you to follow how I'm living my life. That's a hope. That's a desire. But he doesn't stop with just the godly training. He talks about his godly heritage. He says, Timothy, remember who you learned this for. And remember it was his, his grandmother and his mother who took Timothy and had him just fall in love with Christ. Sinclair Ferguson used these words. Timothy was able to drink in godliness. I think that's such a great statement. Are you drinking in godliness in the word? Are you drinking in godliness from a godly heritage? And so many of you come from that. I know not everybody 
But there are a lot of you who are sitting here this morning that have been able to drink in godliness from the way that you've seen your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents live their lives in Christ. And so he says, remember your godly heritage because it's from them that you firmly believed. But you didn't just firmly believe just because your grandparents said it. It was because of godly words. And he says, the sacred writings were given to you. And that's the Old Testament. But listen to what Paul says. While you were studying the Old Testament, you were able to understand what it means to live a godly life in Jesus Christ. It's not just a New Testament religion. It's all of the Bible. From the beginning to the end is all about Jesus Christ. It is a one story. And we have all the prophecies that were given. And the prophecies lead us to the one man, Jesus Christ. And it leads us to the gospel message. And the gospel message is this. You are a sinner. You are messed up. As messed up as your pastor is. And you deserve hell. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. But God so loved us that he gave his son and Jesus freely came to live a perfect life we could never live. To pay a penalty we could never pay. To give us a righteousness we could never earn so that we might stand in the presence of God. Not as conquered foes, but as sons and daughters of the king. Amen? And so Paul looks at Timothy and he says, listen to what has been given to you. You've been given a godly training. You've been given a godly heritage. And you've found it in the words of of Christ himself. But then he goes on to say in verses 16 and 17, where we spend the rest of our time, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now we need to understand that God uh, breathed out the scripture. Now we're going to start a little bit more broad because God does reveal himself and he reveals himself two ways through general revelation we talk about in creation and special revelation, the word of God that you hold in your hand. And so in general revelation, all of creation speaks to God's goodness. Even on this cold, cold Florida morning, we can rejoice. All of you get to wear that one nice winter coat that you have left. We live in a place where we get to see the beauty of the ocean daily if we want to. The power of it. The sunsets that we get to see. All speaks to God's glory. And then you can look at a single individual leaf and understand just how great God is. But it's not enough. Even though it leaves us without excuse, it's not enough to save us. So God in his goodness and in his wisdom gives to us this word that you hold in your hand. And he says, this is how you will know me. I have revealed myself to you in the word that you hold. And this is an incredible gift. Because people have died so that you might have this in your own language. In your hand. And we live in a nation where you have multiple copies. And you don't have to pay for one of them. 
They can be all free to you. And it's in our hands that he gives to us this word. And it is a powerful word. Think of how, think of truly how we have the wind. And how it could be that gentleness. And especially for us in, in Florida, remember during the hot months? Remember where you start sweating from your house door to the car? And you get that gentle ocean breeze. And you're like, thank you, God, it's gentle. But we also live in Florida where we deal with hurricanes. And that same wind can rip your house off of its foundations. That's the way it is with God's word. Sometimes it's a gentle breeze upon your cheek. It's healing. It's refreshing. But don't ever try to put God in a box. Because God is powerful. And if God wants to rip your house apart... He can do it by the very words of his mouth. And so he gives to us this word, he gives you this revelation, but he gives to us inspiration. Which means that when we see this word that it is God breathed, it is something very important. Because God's speaking to us his actual words. Now he's speaking to us in baby talk. But he is speaking to us. He's revealing his soul. He's revealing what it is that we should know about him and how we are to live our lives. But he's speaking to us. And again, I want you to understand when we talk about inspiration, it's not just the, the writers that are inspired. That's not what that means. It's not just the thoughts that are inspired. It's every word is inspired. That's why this church in our, in our statement says, we're going to believe the scriptures because the word of God is true. We don't take it and we don't rip it out and go, well, I don't like this passage. Or these aren't red words. These aren't Jesus' words, so I don't have to pay attention to these words. Every word is God's word. And upon that, we will stand. That has to be our foundation. Because the time that we start thinking we're above Scripture, that's a sad place to be. But the Scripture is the one that provides us every foundation, every understanding of what we should do. And so, therefore, it becomes our final authority. Anytime that you ask a question or something like that, you should say, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? Now, I love my mom, and I could, I could say with Timothy that my mom was the one who taught me the Word of God. It wasn't my dad. She was the one who forced me in some ways to go to church. She was the one who would always ask the question. She was the one who threw away my ACDC records. All that kind of stuff. But there were some times where she would get off, Okay, and so I remember one time she said that she said that owls and um, frogs were evil. I was like, "What?" I read a book, Jeffrey, and I knew I was in trouble every time she used Jeffrey. And I was really in trouble. She used Jeffrey Wayne. Don't make fun of me, Jeffrey Wayne. It's owls and frogs are evil. So everything that had an owl or a frog on it had to be thrown out of our house, which I didn't care. But I was just like, "Mom, where does it say that in Scripture?" Well, I read a book. I don't care what book you read. Where does it say that in Scripture? And so we went through the Scripture. And she says, um, I said, you can't find it, can you? She told me, shut up. <laughs> shut up to her son. But we always have to go back to that. Please understand that. What does it say in Scripture? Because that is our final authority for both faith and practice. But I also want you to understand that the Bible is accessible. 
Listen, we, again, we live in a day and an age where we should be so overwhelmed with the blessings that God has given to us. You can read it in the Greek and Hebrew, and it can be translated for you today. You can read it in multiple translations. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your tablet, on your computer. You can have it on your kids' little things. You can have it read. You can have it on DVDs. You can have it on VHS if you're still that old. You can have it all those places. But it's not just for priests or scholars. Because remember, there was a day where no one had access to the Bible except those that had special authority. And it's not so different today with people who come in as scholars of the word and said, you know what, the common person can't figure it out. That's not how God works. God has given the scripture to all people to have access and I remember one of my professors saying this, the word of God is so accessible that a baby can wade in it and an elephant can swim. We'll never grasp the depths and the understanding of this word of God ever. Ever. So there's always something that God's bringing to us. There's always something that he's teaching to us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, through his written word, to us. So it's breathed out for God, but why did he breathe it out? He says it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. It's good for teaching. Now why is that? Because even though we live in this great country, even though we have access to all the things that we have, all the things, most of us, if I'm honest, we're ignorant We're ignorant of what the word says. Because too many of us have become, listen, satisfied with 30 hours, I mean 30 minutes a week. I'll listen to the sermon, but the rest of the week is mine. We are to be taught, which means, again, we are to be taught in how we should live out the word, how we should worship God, how we should take up our cross every day. He tells us how we should live and love one another and take care of one another and serve one another because we have to think biblically. It is truly why I think the Apostle Paul, you know, when he first got saved, he says, you know what, excuse me, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm a pretty important guy. He lives his life. He, he plants churches. He, he deals with some things. He says, you know what? I'm not just the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the saints. I'm the least of the Christians. He gets to the end of his life, and he says, I'm the worst of sinners. I mean, he's living during a time of Nero, who's taking Christians and burning them as lights for his parties. He's, he's taken beatings. He's been shipwrecked. He's been in prison. He's, he's done all this translating. He's done all these church planning. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. Why does he say that? Because he looks at the Bible and he says, I don't match up to what Jesus is. I should know better. A non-Christian doesn't know how to treat his wife, how to, to treat his friends. I know what the Bible says, so when I go and I treat my wife poorly, I'm the one that's the worst of sinners because I know what to do and I don't. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. He says we have to live biblically. We have to go back. We have to allow the teaching to go deep into our hearts. And it's also there for reproof. 
And this is where the spirit who gave us the scripture, who inspired the people to write it, he can only speak truth and he can only draw us back to Christ. And so when the word of God, when you're reading the word of God and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to move, it brings about conviction of sin. Not guilt. Guilt from Satan. Convictions from God. And when we're convicted, then it brings us back to a place where we can provide correction. And correction means a resetting. And we can have a conviction of our sins where we are having to to have God come and divide us at the very core of who we are. But he also gives us a restoration. He gives us a healing. Have you ever had a sin so deep in your life that when you finally, you finally get to a place where you share it with somebody or you confess your sin and you repent and you're just like, man, the weight of the world's off my shoulders because we finally gave it to who, the only one who could take it. And we said, Jesus, it's all yours. It's all yours. It begins to heal our soul. He begins to reconnect people. And again, if you're here and you have someone that you're just like, I hate that person. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to do that. I, I think I'm a living example, but I'm also someone who's seen many stories that again, when God moves and he restores, he restores a relationship better than it could ever have been before. Better. So he restores it, but he also uses it to train us in righteousness. He trains us. He builds us up into the word. Why? Because he has a bond of love. It's because he loves us. That he doesn't allow his children to go astray. So he takes that word and he makes it profitable, but then he also equips us. Because it is for both our faith and practice. So again, he wants us to have good works. But I think if we're honest, a lot of us begin to doubt our own abilities. We begin to doubt our usefulness. And again, if, if today didn't prove anything else to you that you're more important than the pastor, I don't know what day would. God calls all of us to be a part of the family. And I might be a spokesman, but I'm no more important than the big toe in the church or the right hand, or the left ear. You are so important to God's kingdom and to who he is. He has equipped you as only you can be, and you're the only one that he's given that gift to, or those words of encouragement to, or that opportunity to minister that only you can. Never doubt your calling. Never doubt God's love. Never doubt God's equipping of who you are. Never. You are called and equipped to minister and to love. And as we begin to understand that he makes us competent, he makes us competent and he calls us, and I know it's the gender, men of God. What an incredible title. To be called, I am a man of God. Not because of anything I've done, but because of everything he's done. And he still looks at us and he says, well done, you stupid pastor. You good 
and faithful servant. Come and enter into your rest. For my burden's light and my love is deep. And you have no idea how much you are loved except to look to my son, Jesus Christ. Amen? So he equips us to be men of God, to do good works. And I'm telling you, this word is the most practical book in all of the world. Live in it. Drink it in. And as that happens, and as we begin to apply it and equip ourselves, then it begins to become truly what God's church should be. For we are called to be built up with one another. It's not a building, and everybody here knows that. But we're here to build one another up with all the Christians in this area, and we should be crying out, God, please give us O'Galley or we die. God, give us Melbourne or we die. God, give us the Space Coast or we die. Lord, use us to build your kingdom, to build your church. As we have the opportunity to build, then he also sustains us, even during the hard times. Are you done struggling? I am. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Come, Jeff, come and rest. And again, one of the best things I ever got in counseling class was this thing. Jeff, you're nobody's savior. Only Jesus is. You can't fix anyone. You can't change anyone. But you know the one who can. So take him back to Jesus Christ. And so he builds us up. He sustains us. And then listen to what they said when Paul began to live out the church. These men have turned the world upside down. That's our hope. That's my desire that this church, not because of me, not because of the elders, but because we get what it means to love one another as the church. And we begin to love our neighbors as ourselves. And people look and they would say, there's something different. And we can all say, yeah, you know what's the difference? It's Jesus. And come and worship him with us. Because it's the thing, it's the greatest thing that we'll get to do forevermore. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, it's to you and to you that we cry out, and you are such a giving, such a sustaining, such a loving Heavenly Father. And Lord, those are too easy of words to say, because I know for sure I don't grasp the reality of what that really means. But Father, I thank you, I glorify you, I honor you, that you gave your son and that he freely gave himself as a ransom for us. And so, Father, please, please make us men and women of the word that our teaching would be of grace and mercy and that we'd always use your word to build each other up and not to beat each other down. Lord, may they always be the words of life to us, and may we always give the words of life to others.
And for Father, please prepare us now as we come to your table, knowing that we don't deserve it except for your Son, Jesus Christ. But equip us now. This we pray in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.